I want to share a word that uh, a few weeks ago I was in worship in Valley View, and this has never happened before, but the Lord just downloaded like an entire message in worship. So, you know, obviously worship is for God, right? But a lot of times what God does, if you're, if you're attentive in the spirit, God will, will bless you and he'll give you words and speak words over your life. And I really believe that this word is, um, was given for me to share, share at this time. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. So last year, um, in 2021, in the summer, you know, kind of like coming out of 2020, not going on vacation, I took my family really on their fir- on a first, our first family vacation down to Florida. Uh, I have a, my my um, my wife has all most a lot of her family down there, her grandmother's down there, and so. But we made the decision to drive, and so when I drove um, down, we actually we actually split up the trip in in, in two days. Uh, we have, you know, three children at the time, less than age six, so uh, we figured out was what was best. And around, like, day two, when I was in, uh, we were in South Carolina, I started smelling this, like, burning smell in the car. Like, it was distinct. And, and, it, and at the time, I was, I don't know what I was thinking, they were doing construction, like, on the road, and I was like, I thought to myself, I was like, man, like, their, their asphalt down in uh, South Carolina smells funny. <laughs> So I basically had no idea that this was connected to my car, um, and and the, and the good news is, is we made it to our destination and made it back. But when um, when we returned, I had a, a, a routine checkup. Right, that's the name of this this, this message. It's called routine checkup. And we found out, unfortunately, that I needed something called a torque converter. Any, any guys, anybody know what a torque converter is? I didn't know what it was at the time, but it's related to your transmission system. Uh oh. So like. It was expensive, <laughs> and it wasn't covered under, under uh, the warranty, unfortunately. Uh, it has to do with, yeah, just like how the car does. Um, you used to do manual transmission, but now you can do automatic with this, this invention called the torque converter is how you don't have to shift anymore, right? Um, and so as I was preparing for this message, the Lord took me back to that. So like, much like my trip down to Florida, uh, we as believers tend to go on long stints in our journey of faith. Fulfilling our assignments without actually scheduling time for maintenance and oftentimes ignoring systems, symptoms, excuse me. And so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like if you think, if you read, you know, very often quoted verse, Romans 10 and 9, this is part of what we call the Romans road. Like we're talk, if you're leading someone to salvation, uh, key scripture here, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? You believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth, you will, you will be saved. We, we, many of us know that, and we, we believe that. We made that confession. Um, but that, that almost seems to be kind of contrasted with Matthew chapter 7, and this is Jesus talking here, verses 21 and 23. I call this the scariest part of the Bible, in my, my personal opinion, scariest series of verses in the Bible. Jesus is talking about the day of judgment. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? See, they'll start listing things, like awesome things that they've, that they've, they've done. Did we not prophesy in your name? Cast demons out in your name. Did we not do many might, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Kind of sobers you up a little bit, that scripture. 
And then there's other, there's further scriptures. I won't cite them, but there's one that says, God says he, he doesn't long anybody to perish. God, God, God wants everybody to go to heaven, right? How many believe that? Like, like God doesn't want this, God doesn't want anybody to be separated from him uh, for eternity. But, but then there's, then there's other scriptures that talk about, talk about the elect or those that are predestined to be with him. So it's like, which one is it, God? Like, you know, why, why predestine only a select few, but then you've got, you know, a heart that wants to, to see everyone with you? And even Paul, you know, who wrote most of the New Testament, he, he has this kind of famous things that he, thing that he says when he's talking about walking this, this walk of faith. He says, I die daily, right? In other words, I made a decision for Christ, but then the next day I made another decision for Christ. And the next day I made another decision for Christ. And I die to myself daily. So I want to propose to you this evening, uh, I use this word a lot. I, I, I've sub, tried to substitute the word goal out of my vocabulary and in, in turn uh, use this term formation. And so uh, I want to propose this evening that there is a formation or a rhythm, if you will, uh, that ought to be evident in every life, in the life of every believer. And um, before I read the key, my, my key verse and key scripture, uh, one that we don't often quote, unfortunately, that often, um, <clears throat> but it's, it's out of Corinthians. And one of the, quick, one of the things I'll say um, before I read the scripture is if you've ever done like a study on the city of Corinth during that time, um, it's very unique. It's a very unique city. It was basically a port city. So, but for those that know about ports, you usually have kind of like this cove, if you will, or a place where ships can kind of come in and, and exchange their goods and services and then go on to trade. Well, well Corinth had two ports. It was kind of like, uh, like, like almost like a, a, almost like a, 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 a natural bridge, if you will, where there are ports on each side. Right? So you had you know, goods being exchanged on both sides. Like, okay, what's the significance of that? The significance is, is Corinth, as a result of that, became a city that existed almost like a melting pot. Where, is that? Where have we heard that term before? It, 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 it resulted in many types of ideologies that would oftentimes conflict with uh, the Word of God. And so this is why, like Paul set up many, many, many churches— but he actually took a whole lot of time setting up the church of Corinth, and he actually took many or several different trips there as a result. And so if you read First and Second Corinthians, the heart of First and Second Corinthians is literally Paul addressing a lot of this drama, a lot of this kind of like pretty graphic type stuff that was happening in the church, okay? Um, but I think it's relevant for our day. I mean, the, this United States of America is called the melting pot, and there's no shortage of ideologies that exist today that many of them, if not all of them, conflict with the Word of God. And so with that context in mind, let's look at 2 Corinthians. And I, and I pulled this out of the message translation, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And so here's what Paul's telling. Here's this, and I, I'd suggest that he's telling us this as well today. Test yourselves. Make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't, I love what Ashley said in, said in worship, kind of talking about being stagnant. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. Say regular checkups. Regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. Watch this last part. If you fail the test, do something about it. I like that. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40 also says, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. And so the heart of the Father in all of this is not to create doubt of one's salvation, right? Like that's not what God is. We, are, we, are, we talk about blessed assurance. We are assured of our salvation. 
But, but check this out. But rather it's to encourage a regular cadence whereby we intentionally invite the Holy Spirit to perform examinations on us. That should be a regular cadence. That's really the, the whole point of my message is that evidence of, of, a, of a true believer, one that is truly a disciple of Christ, is someone that is constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to perform an examination on you, on your soul, much like you would to a doctor. Many of us go to a doctor every, what, six months is what it is, and there may not be anything wrong with us, right? But it's just a regular checkup. It's a regular cadence, right? If I didn't take my car to the shop for an oil change, who knows? I mean, maybe my next trip in Florida, certainly I'd be broken down or what have you, right? And so this is what uh, Paul meant further when he urges, and I won't cite the scripture, but uh, we've heard this before, for us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. If you actually break those two phrases, work out and then fear and trembling in the Greek, uh, the work out is, is, is really just to bring something to completion, right? Like, like you've heard the term, like we, we were saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. There's this, there's, this, there's this idea of the fullness of salvation. And then fearness and trembling just simply uh, translates into healthy reverence. So it's not meant to be a scary passage, but it is meant to incite or evoke some sort of action on our part, some sort of active activity. Like we have a part in this. No, we don't have a part in salvation, but, but it's a relationship, right, with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And as, as we'll get, into, get further into this, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is not going to rest until we look like Christ, right? So if we're not looking like Christ in any area of our lives, which I, don't, I would gaze to say that's probably all of us, not all the time, right? Um, that there's, we play a part. And, and, and David um, very much did the same thing, right? This is Psalms 139. I don't have the verse, but he says, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me. We've heard this voice, or this, this verse, excuse me, but, but, but David uh, was obviously far from perfect, right? And so this is, not, this is not about being perfect. This is not about eliminating and being, you know, completely perfect before the Lord. This is about establishing a rhythm to allow the Holy Spirit to change you so that you look like Christ. And so um, with that said, I will give one caution as before I you know, give, give my points here, and that is uh, in order to do this, it requires a soft heart. I, I call this the soft heart requirement. We have to have a soft heart. Humility is a key ingredient, not perfection. So guys, again, not looking for you to come to him and saying, okay, Lord, I've, I'm ready to go. I can do this. I can do this. No, he's just looking you for to humble yourself and kneel before him. And so let's pray. Let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, um, just thank you, Lord, for all that you've already done um, in our lives. Uh, just as uh, Pastor Lou mentioned, I mean, so many countless things known to our finite, finite minds and unknown um, to our finite minds, but so many things that you're doing that bring us joy. Uh, help us just during this time to, to reflect on that and also to keep us humble, Lord. Um, any area of pride, Father God, just just. We have it be replaced, Lord, with meekness and humility in the name of Jesus. And so we honor you, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'll try to go through these really quickly here um, and not be long-winded. I'll try is the operative word. Um, so first one, so there's really three questions, right? You're going to, a, if you go to a, you know, a doctor's visit, there's usually a, a questionnaire, right, that they'll fill out. Any change that you've, that you, changes you've had in your medical history, so on and so forth. And, and, and right, doctors aren't perfect, right? We know, hopefully we know that. Um, they, they rely on asking questions, performing tests, so on and so forth, right, to, to, to try to diagnose. And so 
Um, but we do serve a, a perfect God. But again, we talked about, I already mentioned that God wants us to partner with the Holy Spirit. And so um, these three questions really are ones that uh, after we leave from here, take these before the Lord. Uh, and even now, during your, your quiet times with him, and you ask the Lord, right? I think the, most, the, awesome thing, the most awesome thing that happens is when you ask God a question and he answers it. Like, wherever the answer is, when he responds, there's nothing like it. Like, there's nothing like communicating with your creator. And so the first one is, am I a lover of truth? Am I a lover of truth? <clears throat> Think about these. How do you respond when you hear a lie? Does truth matter to you in general? How do you discern what is true versus what is a lie in the first place? Are your ears inclined to receive only what feels good but may not necessarily be good for you? Talk about that one in a second. Do you love truth no matter what the situation, no matter how high the cost, no matter how much it hurts? Or do you take comfort in the lie? The Lord asking me these questions, so don't get mad at me. Just <laughs> take it before the Lord. But I'll give you some, I'll, I'll give you some examples from my life. Um, when I, I played basketball all my time growing up, and when I was in fifth, sixth grade, I was this tall as I am now. I had, I had my growth spurt, and so I was always the center on the team. Like, I was the center, and in my mind, because I would see my peers always as shorter than me, um, you could never block my shot. Like, that's just, that was my mentality at that time. And so seventh grade came, eighth grade, ninth grade. Now I'm, in the, now I'm going into high school, and all of a sudden, my shot started to get blocked. I said, what's going on? It's like, I'm the tallest one out here. And I refused to believe that I wasn't the tallest one out there. And so I just kept playing the same way and kept getting my shot blocked over and over and over again. Until, until we, we played in this tournament, and actually it was down in Florida. It was an awesome experience. Uh, I'm as old as like guys like Dwight Howard for anybody that watches the NBA. He was in this tournament. So it's kind of cool to see some of these NBA players that, that I played against back when I was younger who've gone on to do great things in the NBA. But I watched, I saw, we took a team picture. And then when that team picture was, this was before, uh, before digital cameras, so this was, had to be like developed. When that team picture was developed and passed out, uh, I, I saw a picture of myself, and I was probably, I think, the third shortest on the team. And it hit me, the truth hit me hard then, and I said, wow, I'm not tall anymore. <laughs> At least on the basketball court. Some people are like, you're, really, you're tall. And so in that, in that instance, right, I could do one of two things. I could continue to believe that I was the tallest one out there, which was not true, or I could receive the truth humbly and adjust my playing style on the basketball court, which is what, which is what I ended up doing. Uh, how about this one? You know, there's some, some um, I've shared this testimony many times about, you know, my, my, my journey with food and healthy living, and I'm not there yet. Um, but I remember when I got the revelation that, you know, I used to drink, I used to never drink water. I used to always drink juice. Like I grew up in a household where you had that little can, the little like can where you like unravel the thing and juice concentrate. Like we would unload one of those every two days or something like that. And I had juice every day. And I finally had the revela revelation that, you know what, there's actually sugar in this juice. <laughs> like it took a long time, believe it or not, to get that little revelation um, but then an even further revelation that that sugar is not good for you at all. And so now as a result, I drink water uh, pretty much exclusively for the most part. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it took a while to get there, even like Subway. How many members of the guy, the guy, I think his name was Jared from the Subway commercials, and, you know, he, he lost all this weight. And so in my mind, it was like sub sandwiches are the healthiest thing on earth. You know, like that was what I always believed because of that commercial, you know, or because of, well, series of commercials. 
And it wasn't not too long ago that I realized, oh man, carbs are basically sugar. Uh, processed deli meats uh, actually are tied to diseases and stuff. And so uh, sub sandwiches aren't the best option, right? And so again, the idea that I could choose to stay in a lie or I could start to say, you know what, what's really true here? One, one more I, 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 uh, along this lines, I, I remember when I found out even about like the oils that we cook with and you go to the store and the thing says vegetable oil and you're like, vegetables, that gotta be healthy. And you come to realize there's not really any vegetables in that stuff at all. But it's like a dollar for like a big thing and you use that to cook at home and you save money, especially with groceries at crazy prices now. Um, but come to realize that actually avocado oil is better, right? Uh, even though it's like seven times the cost. <laughs> um, and so anyways, the point is, is that you, you, hit, you get hit with truth. What happens when you get hit with that truth? Do you adjust accordingly or do you kind of say, you know what? The lie just feels better. It's just easier. It's more convenient. Um, a, a, a little bit, one more, a little bit deeper with myself. I mean, I come from a family. My, my mother's um, a Caucasian. My father's African-American. All the, my whole life growing up, I didn't really fit in. Uh, struggle with identity my whole life. Maybe some of you can relate to this. And so um, as a result, I just, the, the lie was, is that, you know, there's nothing, um, you know, I don't have a purpose. I don't have a place in this world. I mean, I, I kind of carried that with me subliminally a lot of my uh, middle school and teenage years uh, until I started to realize what God said about me. And you start to replace the truth of God's word, saying I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm here for a purpose right, that God has prepared my hands for war. Uh, he starts to show me things, and you start to replace those lies with truth. You know, I love this scripture. My father gave me this over Thanksgiving. I was like, this is perfect for this message. This is Psalms 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, in truth. Not calling on the Lord and saying, Lord, come fit into my box. No, you call on him in truth. Whatever the truth is, that's what you want. John 8 and 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It absolutely will do that as it did with me in those three examples I gave. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's going to feel good at the time. And one of, the, one of the reasons why we can resist truth is because it can be inconvenient. But the reason why it often seems inconvenient, watch this, is because the Holy Spirit is not here to convenience you, but rather to convert you. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit isn't here to convenience us. He's here to convert us. So sure, he loves us all. Sure, he will reach down as he's done probably to all of us and meet us where we're at. But that's not where he stops. There's a process of conversion, as I mentioned, to become like Christ. And so it's true that when God declares something, it is final. There's no plan B. Jesus always declared the truth when he was here on earth. Always declared the truth. Yes, he always, declared, he always declared it in love and grace, but he was always the truth. I think one of the things we have to get back to in the church is start to normalize truth more. I mean, obviously, we have to do it in a relational you know, setting. I, one of the most powerful quotes I've ever heard, this pastor from, from Uganda, he said, he said, when you've learned to meet the need of the person first, then you've earned the right to speak into their life. So there's this model of meet the need, love, meet the need, and now speak, speak, speak truth. Right? We can't not leave the, the truth unspoken. I heard this recently, and uh, well, actually, let me say this. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not only about uh, accepting us the way we are, but offering us a way to become like him. So again, salvation, right, is extended to all. But it's salvation, it's, it's a pathway, right? It's a moment in time, but it's also a pathway. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I've heard this recently. Um, it, it said that Christ came to save sinners, not society. I love that. Christ came to save sinners, not society. Romans chapter 1, if you want to read that, uh, as well as many other verses, tells us about society, right? About how blatant and, and, and open they are about rejecting truth. And we're seeing that today. If you're not paying attention, I'm sure we're all paying attention by now in this church, but if you're not seeing that, there's so many countless blasphemy statements and rejections of truth that are going on in this nation and around the world, increasing by number day by day. Society is on a pathway to hell, right? But God is here to save sinners and convert individuals like you and me. And so <clears throat> when the truth of God is received, it has a way of penetrating deep, beginning, right, start, starting a work and continuing a sanctifying work, leaving us forever changed. And so I ask again, do you pursue and receive truth in every area in your life? Number two, do I receive rebuke and correction from the Holy Spirit? I know these are hard. They'll get better. Do you love truth? And also, do you receive rebuke and excuse me, conviction from the Holy Spirit? Is your heart soft to the leadings and the tuggings and correction of the Holy Spirit? I think some of the most impactful times, I don't know about you, that I've had, again, I've been a part of this church for nearly 20 years. Um, I can think of many, many Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings of being um, in, in the pews, uh, both this location and other locations, and literally, and I mean this in a good way, um, leaving the service so convicted that I lost my appetite. Does anybody, anybody relate to that? I don't know if anybody could relate to that. Maybe that's just me, but the, 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 the message was so powerful. It was so convicting. It was so life-altering that I didn't even want to go to Golden Corral or whatever the plan was. I just wanted to sit and just reflect on my life and reflect on how that truth is going to change me. So no, it wasn't a, and, and I think there's times for feel-good messages and rah-rah and get hyped up. And it wasn't one of, you know, it was those type of messages, uh, but it did ground my soul and molded me to become more like Christ. Always stay with me. You know, God does approve and he affirms, he absolutely approves and affirms each and every one of us, but he also convicts. And I think as we start to grow in maturity in our walk with the Lord, we'll start to realize that his conviction, uh, it actually is another type of affirmation. If you don't believe me, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son who he, who, who he receives. So if the Lord is rebuking and correcting, that's a good thing. If you're not, if you're not receiving that rebuke and correct, uh, correction, as we saw in 2 Corinthians, uh, that's where we need to you know, do something about it, right? But it's just like, you know, when I was a kid, um, you know, when, when, when lies were told in my household, uh, my parents were very harsh about that specific type of infraction or sin. I mean, uh, the punishment was severe. And they were trying to set up the, the example that, um, that, that lying is something that can start off, start off very small and innocent, but as we all know, can grow and can grow and, and honestly can destroy you. But they didn't do it because they didn't love us. It was the very opposite, right? And so are you someone that not only accepts correction, but also seeks correction from God? I mean, this is something that David did. I think a lot of us, like, we'll, we'll, like I'll just keep living my life until I get rebuked, and then I may, you know, turn. But do we, do, we, do we run towards that? You know, do we look for that from the Lord? Psalm 119 in, in verses 97 through 98 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 
Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. So it's just a matter of how we see things. David saw God's law not as like a straitjacket that restricts us, but rather as a, a, a tool, right, for him to um, be wiser than his enemies, for him to be strong in the Lord. And in, in, in some cases, literally the Holy Spirit, you know, we've heard many testimonies, and I'm sure you many have, have many in, in your life, but uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit can actually save your life. You know, the Holy Spirit said, don't do that, don't say that, don't go there. I mean, literally save your physical life. You know, I heard this story, I was actually reading like a, a children's book with my, uh, my, my boys, and it was interesting. They said, they said um, you know, everybody knows that rattlesnakes are deadly. But did you know that the, that the actual, you know, what's responsible for, for most rattlesnake deaths in the United States are actually baby rattlesnakes? Um, the, the reason is, is because if you see a big rattlesnake with that rattle, right, you're, you, you're going to know not to go near it, right? But if you see a small rattlesnake, you're going to assume that small rattlesnakes are innocent. They're usually harmless. But the opposite is actually true. How many know that small rattlesnakes, baby ones, actually have more venom? They're more deadly than the adult ones, right? So what's the point? The point is, is that it's, you know, a lot of us are always, I should say always, a lot of us, we, we try to be on guard for like big sin in our lives. And, you know, I'm not watching that stuff. I'm not doing that stuff. But we can tend to be a little bit like relaxed, much like Samson, right, on, on seemingly innocent things in our life. You know, watching a program or having a conversation, right? And, and all it takes is just a little bit, just a little small, like right, the, what the scriptures say, a small leaven to, let, to get in and leaven the whole lump. And so John 16 and 8 says, again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Are we receiving that same conviction on an ongoing basis from the Holy Spirit? Uh, Victor Hugo, who's a famous French writer, I think he did the play Les Miserables, he, 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 um, he has this quote. He says, a good general will penetrate the brain of the enemy. And this is exactly what Satan does. Right? We know this. Satan is all about penetrating this mind. Right? I mean, there's a reason why we, we, we mindlessly, and I'm speaking to myself here, don't get mad at me, we mindlessly will scroll through TikTok and we'll scroll through Facebook just mindlessly, like literally just mindlessly scrolling, flipping through channels, binge-watching Netflix, riding the wave of the prince of the power of the air, even though it seems innocent at the time. We're not, quote-unquote, looking at anything bad, but we're just riding the wave. And so we'll get caught up in things from Kanye West to Kyrie and to COVID or, or this latest craze that happened, and then we change our Facebook filters, and, and we're just doing it just to do it, right? And so the truth is you most likely would have been preoccupied with something else had you not been engaged with that. And so you know, I'm not coming against social media or anything like that, but my point is, is that sin only needs a little small foot, foothold, a little small window to get in. And so we need to press in more, even more so today, to the Holy Spirit so that we know as we tread and we walk this walk of faith out, the Holy Spirit will whisper small, subtle corrections. I mean, I think about, um, you know, Pastor Troy talks about donuts, and you think about, you know, Krispy Kreme. I got, a, I got a, uh, an email one day for a free Krispy Kreme donut. It's like, what's the purpose of one free Krispy Kreme donut, right? Like, the only thing that's going to happen there is I'm going to get that free Krispy Kreme donut, and I'm going to eat it and want another one, right? And that one, next one is not going to be free, not only for my pocketbook, but it's not going to be free for my, my health, right? Like, I'm going to get at least a dozen donuts, right? So they, they do that on purpose. 
Just one little small donut. Just get that one free donut. Or, or um, I've heard of people like going into the, the casino and, you know, you, you'll play like the slot machines and it's like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll electronify it so that way like you get signed up, you, you play one time and you win. Oh, I just did it one time and I won. Okay, this is easy, right? But now you're hooked. You keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. And that's exactly how Satan operates. There's no, there's no difference. And so conviction of the Holy Spirit, we have to view that as life-giving. It's life-giving. It's life-saving and it's life-giving. Is the Holy Spirit convicting you on a regular basis? And finally, what fruit am I bearing? And so um, absolutely, our walk is a walk of truth. It's a walk of being engaged with the Holy Spirit, being convicted by the Holy Spirit, but more so than what we ought not to do or what we you know, need to be restricted from doing. It's a walk that is one that we can look forward to in bearing fruit, good fruit. Luke, four, Luke 6, 43 to 45 says, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Verse 44, for each tree is known by his own fruit. Again, I'm not going to get into once saved, always saved. You know, there's this long age old debate about that. But Jesus does simply say trees are known by their fruit. Like your identity are known by what kind of fruit are you bearing? For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, um, in, our, in, in my city, and I'm sure in yours, that I, you ever see these, these like temporary, like speed limit digital signs pop up? Has anybody seen these? And you're, you're going down the street, and I guess the idea is that it'll show you how fast you're going, right? And so it's usually in these sections where people speed, and so, like, we have one up in our neighborhood now, and it's, it's a 25-mile-an-hour. People always go about 35 miles an hour. And you notice that, like, when the sign's up, it works. Like, people are, like, you'll see people, like, three cars in front of you, and it's, like, you'll see, you know, 32 miles an hour, and it'll drop down to, like, 27. You're like, wow, it's working until like the battery runs out in the thing, so it never, no longer works, and then people just go back to doing what they normally do. You know, the, the idea is that like it was, a good, it was a good idea, but there was an attempt to produce fruit with no root. People really had no, no, no care about speeding, right? They just, you know, got, I guess, put on blast, so to speak, and so they kind of, you know, um, adjusted their, you know, their, their, their actions for a period of time. Uh, but this is the kind of fruit we're, we're talking about. Galatians 5, 23 and 24, very famous passage, but, but we probably have this memorized. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, it's, it's interesting because there's different kinds of fruit, right? Like avocados take five to 13 years to bear fruit. So it takes some time if you're going to plant an avocado tree. But peaches actually only bear fruit in two years, right? So much, much faster. And so the idea is this, that it can take time to produce fruit in our walk with the Lord, but eventually it has to come forth, right? Eventually it has to come forth. And so, you know, questions that we, that we really should ask when, you, when, when what kind of fruit is being produced is how healthy are the roots, you know, what, what Jesus is saying is that eventually whatever you are cultivating in your heart must be put on display for everyone to see. And so, like, what are we putting on display? Is it peace or anxiety? Is it joy or is it depression? Is it self-control or self-indulgence? What kind of fruit are we bearing? 
you know, another, another question I, I thought about and I asked God this, I said, you know, why do trees bloom or bear fruit, depending on what kind of tree? So it's basically the same thing, but why, why does that take place? And the answer to that question is simply put, it's growth. If you think about the bloom, you know, springtime and in and, 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 and the life cycle of a plant, it's the blooming process, bearing fruit process is all about growth. And so really all three of these questions, as I've been alluding to, they all have to do with becoming like Christ. All of them have to do with be, like becoming like Christ. And I even put down becoming like Christ. This process is the glory of God, right? This is the glory of God. This is what God is after. This is his ultimate goal for his creation to come, become like him and reflect his glory. And so um, our ability to mature in God is linked with us becoming like Christ. We, we must, or excuse me, we don't have to. We get to become like Christ. And I think that's how we have to look at this. It's not like this is not a, it shouldn't be a, something that is, oh, Lord, I'm, I guess I'm going to do this because you saved me. No, we get to become like Christ. We get to, it's a privilege to reflect the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 2 and 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. And so the aim truly is this, to be like Jesus, not just in walk and talk, but in mind and thought in all areas of our lives. And so, um, you know, we do often pray this prayer. A lot of us, including me, we'll, we'll pray this prayer and we'll say, dear Lord, please change my situation, right? Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? Dear Lord, help me. Dear Lord, remove me from here. Dear Lord, change this. Dear Lord, do that, right? Well, God is saying, not in all situations, but in many of them, God is saying, yes, but that situation is there to change you. I'm not there to remove you from that situation. That situation is there to change you. And so if we can't change the things around us, we must change our desires and our perceptions. I'm actually in, currently in a situation, really, all year long it's been that I've been working through this situation, and I have to, like, bite my tongue on this one because I'm like, God, you got to, like, you got to do something. you got to get me out of here. you got to change this. And God keeps reminding me, much like Jonah, it's like, no, Jonah didn't want to be in the belly of that fish, but he needed to be in the belly of that fish. There was something that, that happened in the belly of the fish that when Jonah came out of the belly, he was a whole new man, Right? I mean, he literally was, he ran in one direction before going in the belly of that fish. And when he got out, he went in the completely opposite direction. He was no longer fearful, right? He, he declared the word of the Lord boldly. And so a lot of times when we're in these situations that make us so uncomfortable, it's to do something deep within us. And so it's very natural for us to want to, you know, squirm out of every situation that we feel uncomfortable. But I want to submit to you that perhaps God has you there for a reason. You know, James talks about this in chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I just want to, uh, before I close, share a quick story. Um, and this is the story of the Chinese farmer. I don't know if anybody has heard it, um, but when I heard this, it really resonated with me because um, this is the perspective that I think we need to have as believers. And it says, I'll read it to you. It says, once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer whose horse ran away. So we would view that as a you know, bad thing, right? And that evening, all of his neighbors came around to commiserate. They said, we're sorry to hear that your horse has run away. This is most unfortunate. 
And then the farmer's response was, maybe. Then the next day, the horse came back, bringing seven wild horses with it. And in, and in that evening, everyone came back and said, oh, isn't that lucky? What a great turn of events. Now you have eight horses. And then the farmer again said, maybe. The following day, his son tried to break one of those horses. And while riding it, he threw off, he threw off and he broke his leg. And neighbors came, came and said, oh, dear, that's too bad. And the farmer responded, maybe. And the next day, the conscription officers came around to conscript people, conscript people into the army, and they rejected his son because he had broken the leg. Again, all the neighbors came around and said, isn't that great? And again, he said, maybe. So what's the moral of the story? I mean, it's, it's very similar to Job, right? Job had seasons of his life which were, in our eyes, our vantage point, awesome, and his at the time. He had seasons of his life which were terrible. And then finally, seasons of his life that were awesome. But the point is, is that irrespective of our limited lens, our vantage point, we ought to trust God in all situations and that he causes all situations, both bad and good, to bear fruit. Amen? So the question again is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? And so in closing, I just want to read, uh, read this, the, this key verse again, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Again, this is the message. It says, test yourselves. This should be a rhythm. This should never be never-ending. Test yourselves. Make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along with everything, or taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. Again, I want to submit to you that this rhythm will help us resist being stagnant in our pursuit to look like Christ. And so, um, and as a reminder, it's not all about changing uh, performance. God's not looking for us to. I know Pastor Troy is so big on this, and I love when he, when he shares this. It's, it's like you don't have to perform for God, but it is about changing our position. About changing performance, but changing our position. And so three quick things that I think we can take from this, um, and I've alluded to a couple of these already. Um, but as we move forward, right, in our next steps with our, in our walks with the Lord, I just want to uh, submit to you, number one, keep a soft heart. It's not about performing for the Lord, but it is about keeping a soft heart. Don't let pride build like walls, much like Jericho, around your heart. You know, it's like the story of the emperor with his new clothes. And he was so filled with pride that he walked around the city naked. <laughs> and it's like pride blinded him in that moment. Number two, thirst for correction. Don't settle for lies. I mean, we ought to be um, zealous and relentless about searching for, to be, to be spoken into, to be edified, to be esteemed, to be rebuked. Don't settle for lies. Just watch the, the new rendition of Pinocchio. By the way, have you ever seen Pinocchio again recently? It's a very prophetic movie. It really is. And um, you know, a lot of the, Pinocchio hooks up with a lot of the, the children that go to this place called Pleasure Island. And it, and it seemed to have everything they wanted, right? Unlimited food, games, toys. Um, but it came at a cost. It came at a cost. And if you see the movie, you know, they turn into donkeys and get, get shipped away. So don't settle for lies that, that may feel good and they seem like, that, you know, they, you know, they're very pleasurable and they feel good, but, but there's a hidden cost to, to those lies, just like my vegetable oil. And number three, long to hear his voice. Don't find comfort in any voice. 
unless it is a voice that is either the Father's or echoing what the Father already said. You hear people all the time saying, you know, I've, 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 I've heard of that celebrity or I've heard of that person, heard of that person. Yeah, but do you, but you know that person? Probably not. You know, the famous scripture, the scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And I feel like that is exactly what the Father is echoing to us this evening. For us to be so connected with him that his voice becomes second nature outside of the many, back, much of the background noise of this world. So let's all stand up. Let's uh, just bow our hearts for a moment before the Lord, before we close. I feel like many of us in here have stood on the truth that Jesus is Lord and that have, have believed it in their heart and confess it with their mouth. And, and so for those of you in here that fall into that category, I just want to submit to you that just, just do a routine checkup. Take the Lord at his word. And if you don't have this cadence built in already in your alone time with the Lord, just present it. And then in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit, hopefully for all of us, will say, you're good. See you in six months. No, no. <laughs> you want to you you see you tomorrow. <laughs> but for those of us that have never, we've been walking in lies or kind of been doing our own thing. The Bible does say all you need to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And that begins a journey that is never ending until we get to see Jesus face to face. And so let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are relentless with how you love us, with how you will never quit until we become like you. For, for many of us, that is a, that's a very daunting task, Lord. And so we know that your Holy Spirit has come to help us, to lead us, to guide us in all truth, and we're so grateful. So God, help us to push aside our pride, our flesh, to come to you, Lord God, all over again like little children with excitement of what you are to do in our lives and who, who you have wanted us to become. For those of you that never accepted Jesus Christ, I just want to give a formal invitation. You just say something like, Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I declare I'm a sin sinner in need for a Savior, and I invite you to come into my heart to, to make me become like you. We honor you. We praise you. Bless your people tonight, Lord God. Let them know that no matter what they're going through, you are always with them. You have purposed everything in your hands from since the beginning to through eternity, Lord God. And everything that they're going through, Lord God, is for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you all. Thank you, God. Thank you guys for tonight. If you did pray that prayer and invited Jesus into your heart for the first time, we'll have some altar workers. Uh, we'll be up here. I'll be up here happy to pray for you. Um, but if not, come back on Sunday, live right, love everyone, pray hard.